I have a very dramatic announcement. So anyone with a weak heart should leave now. Unreal. Revolution. Revolution. Uncensored. Revolution. Revolution. Unfiltered. Revolution. Unchanged. Revolution. Unadulterated. Revolution. Unbelievable. CliffCentral.com. Revolution. Revolution. A very hearty welcome to each of our listeners across the globe today. You're listening to David Block, and we are going to be looking up, as always. And I think there's always some sort of story, the richness of cosmic space and of cosmic time, which somehow enters in to our journeys one way or the other. Contact details again. Uh, you can reach us in studio on 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189. Our Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com. So if you want to reach us by Twitter at cliffcentral.com, I am at Starry Galaxy Man. So if you need to reach me, uh, Professor David Block, I am reachable at Starry Galaxy Man. However, the most popular uh, methodology of reaching us in studio is via WeChat ID. Why is that, Duncan? Uh, because uh, uh, our stream also goes on uh, WeChat, Professor. So uh, okay. that's another way of listening okay. to Cliff Central. I must just salute uh, Rena and Gareth for uh, you know founding this. I think it's just just the most. Absolutely amazing idea of unradio. Now, as you and I live out our daily lives, there's always a sense to some degree or another of mystery, of mystery and mystique. There's always a sense of wonder and clues and trying to solve clues and trying to solve puzzles in our lives, be it a maths problem or a marriage problem or a child problem or a teenage one. There's always the mystery as a father of twin boys age 17. I can tell you that in the block household, there's a lot of mystery. And that's what we're focusing on today, not the block family, but mystery. And there's a fascinating book that has just been published called A Death in the Family by Michael Stanley. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my dear guests, Michael and Stanley. But before I do, welcome, Michael, and welcome, Stanley. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show again. Thank, Thank you. you very much. It's just so great to have you. I think this is just such a wonderful combination, Duncan, Michael Sterney. So Michael is Michael Sears, um, who is a professor in the same school in which I serve at the University of the Witwatersrand. Would you believe it, Duncan, that Michael and I know one another? Guess for how long? Ten years, fifteen years. Mm, I think uh, twenty-five years, Professor. You're good. Michael taught me as a student. I think that's just <laughs> awesome. So there you go. And Stanley Trollop, Stanley Trollop, all the way from um, the state of, is it Minnesota? Minnesota, it, Minnesota, it is. Yes. yes. So that is just wonderful. How long are you here for, Stanley? Um, I'm uh, here until the middle of September yes. and then uh, return back to Minneapolis uh, to start the launch of the, this book in the States in yes. October. 
So, and this is available in on Amazon. Oh yes, yes, the books are available um, in hard copy. Yes, or on Kindle, but the. But the Kindle version of this latest book, yes. Death in the Family, will only be available uh, after the U.S. launch. So that will be at okay. the end of October. Okay. Just just one, one thing. This yes. book, as it is right now, the South African edition, um, is not yet – is not available mm. on Amazon. I see. The, uh, the um, – it will become available on Amazon in October. Yes. Well, I'd like to kick off uh, – Questions to my esteemed guests by just citing something from this book, which really struck me, and uh, I'm sure it would whet everyone's appetite on the on this uh, feed today. And that's a little comment by uh, the award-winning author um, of the Ian Rutledge and Ben Crawford mysteries, Bess Crawford mysteries, Charles Todd. And uh, Charles has penned. I think Charles puts it beautifully in perspective. Now, we'll have to unpack who Kubu is to our listeners, but he quotes Kubu. He's a detective, but I'll leave it to my guests to explain more. So, he, uh, quote, Kubu returns in this book, uh, A Death in the Family. Kubu returns with a vengeance. But what is prowling in the darkness of Botswana is more dangerous than the four-legged predators. Unquote. I repeat, Kubu returns with a vengeance. Well, that we can understand. But, but what is prowling in the darkness of Botswana is more dangerous than the four-legged predators. So I would like to ask you, Stanley, and then Michael, uh, our first question today really is, you've just launched this book, A Death in the Family. Um, can you tell me why Todd, what is Todd speaking about when he's saying there's something more dangerous than these four-legged predators? Of course, you get to know what it is, obviously, when you read the book. But, but first of all, tell us about Detective Kubu, because obviously that's the beginning of the quote, and we each listener has to know who this mysterious Kubu is. Uh, Detective Kubu is our protagonist in the series. Uh, this book is the fifth in our series. Yes. And he's a detective in the uh, Botswana police within the criminal investigation department. Yes. And uh, we've been very fortunate uh, to have him as our protagonist uh, because he has uh, caught the reader's eyes in a number of parts of the world. And we were very lucky to find that readers sort of fell in love with him mm-hmm. because he's a, a nice guy, unlike many of the literary uh, private investigators and detectives who are often hard-boiled, you know, drinking, womanizing, smoking, not-so-nice people. Yes. Kubu is a nice guy with a, with a happy family life. Not too thin. Not too thin. He's a very large person. Kubu in Setswana means hippopotamus. Oh, I didn't know that, really? Yes. Right. Okay. And so that, he really does fit his name. That's right. And, and in two ways, not only as a large person, uh, but as you probably know, hippos kill more people yes. in Africa than any other yes. mammal. Yes. And so he's a very dangerous antagonist. And if you get in his way, he's going to be uh, relentless in, mm. in the pursuit of justice. Mm. Now, Michael, I know, for example, that you love the bush life over spanning many, many, many years. And uh, 
How did the two of you actually meet? Uh, tell us about the birthing of um, a death in the family and how you specifically both struck on this lovely name, Detective Kubu. Yes, well, this is a story that goes back um, almost as far as as uh, the relationship that we have in yes. terms of our friendship. Yes. Um, uh, a, lo- a long time ago, we met here in South Africa, th- uh, actually through uh, through Wits University. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, s- but Stan had subsequently moved to Minneapolis, yes. and I spent a lot of time there working uh, on research at yes. the university. But not with Stan; it was a sort of a coincidence that mm-hmm. we were both at the same mm-hmm. um, university. And so we got to know each other well, and we discovered that we had a lot of things in common. Um, the love of the bush that you've already mentioned. Yes. yes. Uh, the food and drink, which uh, has produced the size that Kubu is in the in the stories, but mm-hmm. fortunately hasn't quite caught up that far with us yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and many other things. We were interested in mysteries. We were interested in, in uh, different different aspects, and particularly Africa. Uh, so Stan used Stan is a private pilot, and he used to fill planes up with friends and food and wine, not necessary in that order, <laughs> and uh, fly into different I places see. in Botswana, and I we would see. we would uh, uh, do bird watching and animal watching and yes. so on. And on one occasion, we saw a pack of hyenas uh, pull down and completely consume a wildebeest, and we thought that would be a great way well, of getting rid of a, of a body. If you happen to have murdered somebody and you didn't want any bits and pieces around for the police, the, yes. pass it on to the hyenas. <laughs> and uh, then we thought about that, and and we sort of said, oh, we should write a novel along along mm. those lines. Mm. And eventually we did, and that was our first novel, A, a Carrion Death. Mm. So that that friendship sort of developed into into yes. the uh, into the writing work yes. together. Yes. Maybe we'll talk a bit about collaboration later on. Yes. But uh, we're used to collaboration and so it was always it was always a natural for us to collaborate. Yes. We are discussing today listeners um, on this feed looking up with David Block. We're discussing an awesome new book. I think it's just awesome. A Death in the Family by Michael Stanley. And uh, as we've already mentioned, apart from the launches, you'll be able to order your copies on Amazon and elsewhere, if not immediately now, then in the foreseeable future. But I just love the mystery. Now, what immediately drew my attention to this book was, you know, when you depict maps of cities or of countries, you know, you think of, say, Johannesburg or Cape Town or so on. But I had not heard. Have you heard of a little town called Kasani, uh, Duncan? No, but I know it's an African name, uh, Kensani. Is that it, Professor? Kasani. 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 No. So there's a lovely map here, Duncan, and uh, it actually has. You see, it's got all this here. It's got you know Botswana bordered by Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. So that's amazing. And of course, I've heard of Francis Town and uh, Okavango Delta. But what was very interesting to me was everybody knows of Gaborone, but now you know right at the heart there of the Caprivi Strip is Kasani, K A S A. Any, and I'd like both of you just to fill in as to why Kasani. Uh, Kasani is one uh, town um, that we have visited quite frequently. We have friends who live there. So the reason is a friendship. 
Well, both a friendship and because it's a sort of jumping off place to a number of different areas of Botswana that, yes. that have been important to us, yes. such as the Linyanti where you drive along from Kasani down to Goma Bridge and along uh, the northwest border of Botswana. Mm-hmm. And if you go south out of Kasani, you land up in, in the Chobe National Park, mm. Savuti and, and so on. Um, and it's a it's a lovely little town, and um, it's also right across mm. the border from from Vic Falls. Mm. I see, Michael. Anything to add to that, Kasani? Well, I just want to. I actually want to uh, toss it back to Stan again because I think the reason that Kasani is in the map that you're looking at there yes. is is uh, an experience that Stan had, which goes back to your question about where did the concept of this book come from and perhaps you could just tell that story quickly Stan. Yeah a few years ago I was uh, on a camping trip with some friends through northern Namibia and then Mm -hmm. into Botswana Mm -hmm. and in a very small town in northern Namibia whose name at this point I can't remember it was a town of about three or four shops and one supermarket. Yes. I was in the supermarket getting provisions for the camping and was about to check out, and there was a Chinese gentleman in front of me who was checking out also. And uh, the locals were sort of teasing him, ribbing him, and he was very unimpressed with this. And when I walked out of the supermarket, I noticed that one of the three shops in the town was a Chinese shop in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. A few days later, I was driving on that road that I had just mentioned on the northwest side of Botswana, between a little town called Kachikau and Goma Bridge, which mm. is the crossing into Namibia. Mm. And it's really a road from nowhere to nowhere. Mm-hmm. And after many times of having done that, I suddenly realized that it was now paved. It was a tar road. Mm-hmm. And it really puzzled me why there would be a tar road between nowhere and nowhere. Mm. And then halfway along the road, on the left, I noticed a barbed wire enclosed village, yes. which was a Chinese village. Mm. And what, in fact, was happening was the Chinese had probably offered to create this road um, as a gift to the people mm. of Botswana. Mm. But they bring their own laborers in. Uh, the, the locals get very little uh, employment out mm. of it. And what was of interest to me was that they totally isolated themselves from Mm. the locals. Mm. With barbed wire. With barbed wire. Mm. And so I suddenly thought, what a wonderful backstory for a murder. Mm. Here you have people coming in who are different culturally, Mm. who isolate themselves, who take your jobs. Mm. And isn't this a nice potential for a a murder mystery? Mm. Now, of course, Todd refers to something being more dangerous than these four-legged predators. And uh, I think we may as well spoil the beans and set the broad framework for a death in the family. Is it to do with Chinese colonization? I'm asking you simply because I want the listeners to really um, eat, partake of the mystery, spoonful by, by spoonful. Well, I, I guess the, the Todd quote about being more dangerous than four-legged predators is practically any reference to a human yes. would, would uh, fit that bill. Yes. And, of course, if the human is not a very nice person, perhaps yes. evilly inclined, yes. then 
uh, certainly becomes very dangerous indeed. Yes. And behind those aspects of the human psyche is often some form of greed or mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. some twists mm-hmm. that the person is following through. Mm-hmm. So, as Stan has explained, the, the, the original idea of the friction was this, the Chinese being separate from mm-hmm. the, from the local people mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is certainly a feeling in Southern Africa, mm-hmm. well, much more broadly mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just an article uh, about 10 days ago in the New York Times about exactly similar sorts of things that are taking place in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Botswana has had ups and downs with the Chinese. They mm-hmm. undercut uh, other companies for contracts, mm-hmm. and very often the way in which they do that is based on two pillars. The one is the uh, free or very cheap line of credit that they get mm-hmm. from the Chinese government, mm-hmm. and the other one is by not always using mm-hmm. high-quality materials. Mm-hmm. So the Botswana... Um, Khabarone Airport is uh, uh, just complete. It was supposed to be completed in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Just completed this month. There's a power station that the two Chinese electrical companies have built for the Botswana government, mm. and and that one has never reached more than half capacity. And this is something that That's your South thing. African uh, mm. um, listeners might be interested in because that power station was supposed to be supplying Eskom mm. with excess power. Oh, that's funny. Instead of which – It's so amusing. Instead of which Eskom is supplying mm. Botswana. So mm. the next time the lights go out because Eskom <laughs> hasn't got enough electricity, you can feel good about yes. the fact that at least some people in Botswana yes. have got some. Yes. You know, I remember – uh, Michael and Stanley being in um, China a little while ago, I was lecturing at a university there, and uh, what struck me was this, is that China is, seems to be very open, very open country and very free, but there's another side to it in the sense that you cannot just say what you want to say. You cannot just lecture, especially on anything controversial. It's very, very heavily controlled. Um, and I've been very interested in their strategy, which, of course, is played out in the book as well, uh, with regard to colonization of Africa. In certain cases, this would seem to be more than a colonization, but rather than a rape. Uh, friends of ours, for example, in Mozambique were telling me how huge forests are being cut down and all the trunks going off to China. Um, this is surely uh, bad news for us. I mean, how open would you say China is in your experiences? Stan? Well, I, I visited China only as a tourist. Um, I, I think that their presence in Africa is is generally... Uh, very clear yes and and that is it it wants access to africa's resources mm-hmm. and i suspect that how it gets those resources varies from one country to another mm-hmm. uh, different chinese companies will operate differently yes some do. some will mm-hmm. be perfectly legitimate and above board and do mm-hmm. a good job others will uh, exploit mm-hmm. uh both the the country in which they are and the locals and so on. So I suspect there's no broad brush across it all, 
But as a, if I look at Africa as a whole, I think probably uh, it won't come out as an even partner in the exchange of resources for for aid and and money. Mm. I've been very, Michael, your comments on this because. The Chinese involvement in Botswana and in South Africa, we think of some of our largest corporates and 49 to 51% shareholders, um, Chinese. Uh, it's a very curious development over the uh, relatively recent uh, epochs. I mean, how do you as a South African, Michael, see this? Because I've been feeling a sense of, in some cases, rape. Well, I think the... Uh as, as Stan says, there's there's obviously a backstory to this as well, mm-hmm. and I think part of it is driven by the fact that the Chinese have large quantities of money which they get from um, the creation and construction and export of goods to mm-hmm. to the West, to the United States and, mm-hmm. and Europe, particularly, of course. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, a desire to invest that money in something other than U.S. dollar bonds. Of course, yeah, that's true. So I think that's where the that's where the enthusiasm for mm-hmm. uh, obtaining the rights or the the actual title to resources in mm-hmm. Africa um, is starts. Mm-hmm. I think it goes beyond that. However, I think there's a desire to have political influence. In African countries mm-hmm. to, to be close to, uh, Africa, which is mm-hmm. really, uh, one of the mm-hmm. very big developing areas. It's Absolutely. going to be a huge mm-hmm. driver, uh, for the world economy mm. in the future. So I think it's, I think it's canny, but I think that the, uh, the difficulty is, as you have said and as Stan has said, is that sometimes the, the techniques that are followed are not the ones that we would like to see mm. happening. I find it so interesting, you know, that you say you saw this village, this Chinese village in Africa, and they're living behind barbed wire. I mean, that just says so much about motive, does it not? And I'd like to take that as the lead in. I want you, I didn't want to do it, I want our guests to do it. Our guests are Michael Sears and Stanley Trollope, their new book, A Death in the Family. I'd like you, you know, if this uh, succeeds in any way whatsoever, this little interview, it must sell oodles of books. And so I want you to tell the listeners what Death in the Family is about sketch-wise, not going into every detail, but sort of with a broad brush of the penny. Tell us enough for me to want to run to exclusive books to buy a copy. Well, uh, we've we've already touched on one of the main backstories, which is the Chinese involvement. Um, which I think is just so relevant. The way in which we conceptualize this in the book is that uh, there's another town on that map that you mentioned earlier called Shoshong, yes. uh, which is north. It's between Habarone and Francis Town, mm-hmm. and it's a very historical town. It's a very, mm-hmm. very interesting town in its own right. At one, mm-hmm. at one stage in history, it was actually bigger than Cape Town. Mm-hmm. So it was the largest inland town in southern Africa. Mm-hmm. So it has a very deep and uh, significant history to the Swana people. Mm-hmm. 
and we've uh, invented a mine in the area, although mm-hmm. it, is a, it is an area in which there are mines, so it's a reasonable supposition. And this mine wants to expand, and the mine is Chinese-owned, mm. and all the issues that we've been talking about are uh, in, the, in the reality of the, of the fictional book. Mm-hmm. Um, and this causes friction between the local people. The young people are promised jobs, which they may or may not get, as we've discussed. Right. The older people are concerned about the the loss of the the culture and the um, environment of the of the town by mm-hmm. by this expansion taking mm-hmm. place. And it's a very contentious issue. It's a mm-hmm. very contentious issue mm-hmm. uh, for the for the people there. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of the flashpoints of the book. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. second flashpoint of the book arises right at the beginning. Um, those of your listeners who've read any of our books and, and have uh, got to know Kubu mm. know that he is very very close to his family. Mm. His father and his mother live at Machudi, another small town, but quite close to Habarone. So they they go up to visit. They Practically every weekend they're up there. Mm-hmm. And um, Kubu's particularly close to his father. He's an only child in the family. And right at the beginning of the book, Kubu's father is murdered. Mm-hmm. So this produces a huge pressure, a huge change in Kubu. And, of course, what he wants to do more than anything else in the world at that moment is to find the culprit, find mm-hmm. who's responsible and to blame for this mm. the senseless death of mm. this harmless mm. gentle old man mm. and of course that's the one thing he absolutely cannot do mm. because the police investigation would be totally compromised if the victim's son were the one doing the investigation mm-hmm. so his boss uh, forbids him from having any part in the investigation whatsoever mm-hmm. and this is of course uh, extremely frustrating for Kubu and adds to his of sorrow. Course. And this produces another uh, big tension in the book. And fiction tends to be about tension. Hmm. So, so there are That's these true. two tensions, mm-hmm. the, the uh, cultural and, f- and physical tension of hmm. the Chinese mine versus the people in Shishong and this emotional tension that, that, um, our detective has as he tries to obey his boss, but of course, everything makes him want to get involved. Mm. And um, eventually he does overstep the line. And in order to get him out of the way until it's too late, his boss sends him off to an Interpol meeting in New York. And uh, for those of your Listeners who are feeling this sounds a bit heavy. Mm. Um, Kubu, who's very, very large, as we've said, mm. trying to deal with economy mm. on an air li- on an airliner to the U.S. Mm. and uh, um, trying to fit into hotel rooms and mm. showers in New York City uh, adds a little light mm. relief, I think. Mm. I just think this is awesome. We have a writing collaboration here between Michael Sears and Stanley Trollope. And that leads me into my next question before we have a little music break, and that's this. Uh, you know, 
most of our listeners, Duncan, yes, would be between 20 and 30, I guess, age group? Uh, 18 to 45. Oh, 18 to 45. It's expanded since I last saw that. Okay, good. So I'd like to know, there are lots of people out there, of course, who may wish to become writers, but writing a book is one thing, as I know, and getting a publisher is uh, yet another, but getting fiction published, that must be, um, what clues have you both got? Uh, little sound bites, as it were, you know, if someone has a little novel in their head or in manuscript form uh, to actually go. And what advice can you give to our leaders of tomorrow who might, you know, be future J.M. Kutsias and so forth? Well, we have several pieces of um, advice that we freely give out. Uh, the first is don't give up your day job. <laughs> the chances of making any money to live off are very small. Uh, we've been reasonably successful, and if we were to live off the takings, we would <laughs> be starving artists in a garret somewhere or other. <laughs> You'd uh, be starving in Kasani. Right. The second piece of um, advice that we give is if you want to become a writer, the only th way to do it is to start writing. Um, it, it is amazing how many people come up and say, I have this great idea for a book. You know, what should I do? Mm. And all you can do is to start writing. Mm. And you have to just realize that you may write a lot of mm. bad prose initially. Sure, but you've got to start. Our first book was about 130,000 words. We probably threw away half a million words. Mm, mm. So in other words, you've got to – it's almost like planning the wedding. You plan a big function, but then you've got to start trimming it down. And I suppose that's the whole point with creative writing is that you've got to write – It's got. there's got to be a story, right, Michael, behind this. Is every great novel – you know, from the brothers Kazimov to Dostoevsky's famous works, they all have wonderful stories. And yes, I, th I think that's right. I mean, I think in the first instance, people read fiction for the story. You have to have the reader involved and you have mm. to have the reader carried along by the story. Mm. Uh, the reader is only going to do that, however, if the story is written in such a way mm. that once the reader is in it, mm. you know, it's what people call a page turner. You want to know what happens next, mm. but you also uh, completely submerged in the story. It's, it's the, the fictional dream is a mm. term that's sometimes used. And it means that you flow along with it. Mm. And, and that's where the writing is important because mm. it's very easy to jar the reader out of that fictional mm. dream by putting in something that doesn't right. flow You've got with to keep your focus, don't you? Yes, and the characters, of mm. course, have got to be interesting. Mm. Uh, people read the stories for the mm. – uh, read the novels for the stories mm. – but they're gripped by the characters. Right. They right. must care about the characters. Well, we have a very interesting – this is why I love being on uh, Cliff Central is we get callers from everywhere. We get callers from Dubai, Duncan. We get callers from Chicago. And today I've got one from uh, Nathan in Botswana. So shows you. Anyone with a computer, Duncan, away you yeah. go. A computer and a cell phone and you listen to this live, yeah? That is true, Professor. So now Nathan is in Botswana and so he's got two comments. The first one is, he says, I need to get this book in from, uh, to Botswana. I'm from Botswana. 
I need to get this book. Well, I think we're hitting the nail on the head, folk. If someone are immediately is, if someone is immediately feeling the urge to buy the book, um, it sounds like that they could really, you know, shout out loud and publicize this book widely in Botswana. Is it based on a true story? Well, um, it's not based on a true story. It's based on a lot of reading of true stories. Ah, oh, that's good. So we that's have, good. we have, uh, synthesized experience, other people's experiences, our own imagination into what we hope is just an entertaining story. Right. Where the background is a serious background. Right. And I would just like to say to Nathan, uh, thank you for that. And we happened, uh, to have a, a launch of this book at Exclusive Books oh, on Thursday evening. In Botswana? In Botswana. Where? In, at the Exclusive Books. Yeah. Um, in uh, Gaborone. In Gaborone at what? 6 for 6.30. 6 for 6.30 at Riverwalk Mall. That's correct. Riverwalk yes. Mall. And we'll also be there on Saturday morning doing a signing for people who can't make it. Well, Nathan, lunch. you can't miss this now. You go to Riverwalk Mall in Gaborone. You just diarize this, my dear friend. And uh, you get the book signed, not only buy the book, but get it signed and may it occupy a wonderful position in a very prominent position, Nathan, very uh, faithful caller to our feed. Uh, Prof, I've got a question, please. Sorry yes. to interrupt you, mm. but I need to know, is this a controversial book? Could you guys get in trouble for writing uh, all, yes. all, all the stuff about the Chinese? Yes. I don't think so. I think it's, uh, it's a fiction. There, there, you know, what we've done is give a story. Mm-hmm. Th- that's all. I mean, all fiction is based to some extent on reality. Yes. Um, that's true. And so we've just seen different things, um, and have put together a mystery. This is mm-hmm. not a historical treatise. Mm-hmm. It's not a political statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we do is we write mysteries, mm. and one thing that's perhaps sets aside our mysteries from uh, some other writers mm. is that we always take a contemporary issue in Botswana. Yes, that's what I like about this. And yes. then fold a mystery over it. Right. So our first book, A Carrion Death, had blood diamonds mm-hmm. as the backstory. Mm-hmm. The second book, A Deadly Trade, had the aftermath of the Rhodesian Civil War mm-hmm. as a, as a backstory. Mm-hmm. The third was the, the plight of the Bushman, that and that lovely. was, uh, yes. Death of the Mantis. Mm-hmm. The fourth, uh, Deadly Harvest had Mooty Murders as the backstory. Mm. So that's all sitting below the surface, if you like. Mm. Anyway. And, it's there in reality, and it's there in our books. Mm. But the books aren't about those things. The mm. books are about mm. a murder mystery. Nathan is worried about your safety. He says, sh- he's got it capitalized, Duncan. Look at this. Sounds like they could get shot, <laughs> capital, <laughs> killed I by hope the not. Chinese. <laughs> no, folks, uh, you must understand that in the world of novel writing, so much can be said without... I mean, this is not a factual book in the sense of, but there's the underlying theme which I'm fascinated by, and that is the colonization of Africa, perhaps yet again this time. However, 
uh, not by the British. You can reach us in studio on zero eight six one triple five one eight nine, and our WeChat ID is Cliff Central. And we're going to have a break listening to a glorious piece by Enya. Is that correct, Duncan? A hearty welcome block, a uh, hearty welcome back. I have a pun on my name, David Block, today. <laughs> a hearty welcome to our distinguished guests, Michael Sears and Stanley Trollope. Now, if you want to follow where they'll be next, not for the Chinese to do this, but uh, just to have your book signed, uh, you need to follow them on Facebook. Now, the Facebook page, Stanley, is... It's facebook.com slash Michael Stanley Books. Okay, Michael Stanley Books. So that's just so easy on Facebook. You do a search for Michael Stanley Books, one word, I presume, and away you go. And on Twitter? Our Twitter handle is at Detective Kubu, spelled K-U-B-U, one word, yes. Detective Kubu. Okay, so you just put at... Detective Kubu, and away you go. Now, during our music break, Duncan came up with a fascinating question. I think it's really neat. Duncan, over to you. Uh, I was just asking the gentleman off air that uh, has any of uh, any one of their books been turned into a movie? Mm-hmm. And who would play the role? And who would play the role, and so forth? Yeah, the the answer, unfortunately, is no. We've had some interest uh, in the mm. past on on the on the books. Um, and I think we we sometimes um, like to fantasize about a mm. movie and uh, uh, which which book perhaps would make the best movie. Although very often with which with one a, would it be though? Yeah, I, I I think it would be one where the Botswana environment would would be um, would be a good feature. So I, I'm sort of tempted to say the second book. Uh, a deadly trade because that's set up in that area that David referred to earlier, Kasane, mm. and that's just such a beautiful wildlife area, birds mm-hmm. and animals, and mm-hmm. the river and uh, mm-hmm. the Chobe River and and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is is uh, a sort of detective mystery in the more in the Agatha Christie sort of style, the locked room type mystery. Um, but the one in the Kalahari, which is Death of the Mantis, that would that would also do. That would be a wonderful one. Right, I think yeah. so. But uh, of course, what actually happens when people make movies and television series of a of uh, a, of a character like this is they usually go through all the books and p- pick out bits and pieces, write a script which doesn't mm. seem to be very similar to any of the books, mm. and put it together. And mm. if it's successful, it's fantastic. Mm. You know, I think. A, f- a film is a different thing from a book mm. And it works differently mm. Forrest Whitaker Would <laughs> be my choice Nice, nice one Lovely, yeah. lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely. Yeah. Now the point is Michael One question which runs through my mind Is that how do you find um, You know the creativity of writing And then of course yourself uh, Raised in the mathematical world You know the, uh, the strictly analytical world Do you find that that analytical world Is flowing over to the Sort of mystery solving capabilities I mean Einstein puts such a great emphasis On the role of one's imagination Yes I think that's true I, I think that 
in many ways, as you know, David, mathematics is at least partly an art, mm. and much of it is generated by your imagination. Much of it's generated by your subconscious, I think. Mm. Um, and the same thing is is true with writing. Mm. There are a number of occasions where you wake up in the morning and you can sort of see a way forward where a way forward wasn't obvious for the plot or the or the characters uh, before that. Right, right. So there is a definite tie-up there. But now, of course, in business, collaboration is one thing. But when it comes to collaborating book-wise, that you need to go to bed with the right people, as it were, Duncan. Um, Collaboration can be wonderful. I know this in the scientific realm. And it can be terrible. It can be Mm. hellish if you are working with people perhaps whose egos are just not fitting into your puzzle at all. Uh so, Stanley, what are your thoughts about collaboration and people trying to find collaborators in this world of novel and fiction writing? Well, certainly collaborating in writing fiction is relatively unusual. Mm-hmm. As all of us know, all of us having been in academia, mm. collaboration in the world of nonfiction is, is, is really what you do. Mm. But both Michael and I had spent our careers um, collaborating um, in our non-fiction world, mm-hmm. and so when we started working together, it was it was a, a no-brainer. We just mm. we didn't even think about it. Mm. Uh, we didn't even know that you shouldn't write fiction uh, mm. as a as a mm. duo. Mm. Mm. When people ask us, "How do you write fiction together?" Mm. we always respond by saying, "That's the wrong question," mm-hmm. and the real question is. How can you write fiction alone? Mm. We think it must be incredibly lonely, very difficult, uh, nobody to give you support, nobody to give you a mm. kick in the pants to get moving, mm. and nobody to brainstorm with. Mm. And one of the great powers of collaboration, particularly in the, in the world of fiction, is that you can sit down and brainstorm an idea if you get caught in, in a dead end in your writing, you can brainstorm your way out. Right. And not only is it useful in terms of the writing, it's also great fun. Mm. I think that is the key word, is that when one does research, when you do writing, it's got to be fun. If, you, if, you know, if it doesn't ignite your candle, if you don't wake up in the morning and feel, wow, Today's a day to write another couple of pages or a chapter of a new book, then I think you're in the wrong game. Michael, you've been involved in so, wearing so many hats over the years from, you know, lecturing at the university and then stints in the corporate world and so on. Does this really give you an added element of fun? This, a totally different new area, which I wouldn't have prophesied existed some years back. Yes, ab- absolutely. It's it's been a it's been an, a, an incredible journey doing this. I think we've been incredibly lucky to to have our books uh, received so well and yes. and and uh, the the critical reviews and so on are excellent. We have a lot of enthusiastic readers. And but but yes, we do it for fun. Mm. That's that's the main thing, as uh, as Stan said. Mm. If it stops being fun, mm. if we, if it doesn't ignite our candles, as mm. you put it, mm. then we'll go on and do something else. Well, there you have it. 
Uh, from our guests, Michael Sears and Stanley Trollope, please go and attend their book launches and buy the books on Amazon, the series, the latest one, A Death in the Family. I wanted to ask them what next in the series, but our time has run out. But I think the key point is this. Unless it's fun, stop it immediately. You've been listening to Professor David Block signing out until next week. Cliffcentral.com